It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 159 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and the depressing MMA news feed to my fandom, handsome Nick John Bracha III. How do you do, man? NJB3 is here with you, Stanny D. What's up? How you doing, my friend? It's good to be back with you. I know we've had several weeks off over Christmas and the New Year and all, and all the holidays and all that, but it's good to be back. we got a UFC car coming up, and Nick, Nick, it feels kind of familiar that Sean Strickland is main eventing a UFC car. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't always come out with the most entertaining fights. Uh, well, so a couple of thoughts here. First off, uh, happy holidays, happy new year, and then happy birthday uh, to you, Stan. And also, congratulations on winning for the fourth year in a row. You won our competition. As usual, I came on strong at the end, but ended up losing by, I don't know, 10 or 11 points, I think. 16.5 uh, points. By. <laughs> <laughs> Did I? But I won. But I like. I won like five or six in a row to close out the year. But it wasn't. Yeah. You had a couple. There were. Ju- there were like three cards in the middle of the year, where I just whiffed. And uh, anyway, I'm gonna hope. Hopefully, do better this year. Maybe this will be the year that I win. I usually start out strong. You take a little while to warm up, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I get going in the I get going in the uh, the second through fourth rounds, Nick. And you got like you you often have a decent fifth round in you after a good first round. Um, have a good yeah, man, first it, it round, was, a good fifth round. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was look, it was it was competitive at the end. I think you won uh, the last four or five events leading up to that last event. I did end up edging you by a point in that last event in the. Uh, oh really? Are you, are you sure? Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, I mean, sure. it doesn't really matter. I, I did the math and yeah, either way, I was in the lead last year. But you closed that gap, man. I think I was up like twenty something points at some point. So you definitely brought it a little bit closer. But I feel like, given this level of experience that you've attained over over the course of the last while, you've really kind of come into your own when it come, came to picking underdogs, which I think can make a difference. And if you can start to make well, some of those brilliant underdog picks uh, uh, early in the season, you might just you might just get a lead on me. Yeah, that'd be great. And maybe like the guy, you know, the guy in the reviews on iTunes who called me an idiot, who said that I always, that I just picked the favorites. Well, yeah, I don't think he was listening really closely because like I've been taking underdogs for a while, but I've been I've got I think I've gotten better at, at picking them. Uh, yeah, and, and you know what? Still, Nick, the, the, I mean, the, the guy the guy does sound like he knows what he's talking about. To be fair. <laughs> hmm. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you do better research than I do. I just try to get by on being charming and handsome, which no one can see. Since it's a podcast, <laughs> it's, it's weird that the charm doesn't doesn't come through either. Oh, <laughs> I'm joking, man. Uh, yeah. Nicola, we we have got UFC Fight Night Strickland versus Amalov to break down. Strickland coming in as a last minute favorite, uh, as a last minute replacement when Kelvin Gastelum ended up getting staff in his face. Man, that guy's had some rough luck. With it was that. Sta- oh, it was sta- it was staff in his face. I thought he got I thought he got his teeth knocked out in sparring. He got staff staff infection in his mouth. God. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the staff is related to the tooth being missing. But if you look at that same picture with the tooth out that he posted, uh, there's on his left cheek. There's a pretty clear sign of staff. Uh, he had a very similar thing on the back of his neck, leading into that Robert Whitaker title shot that he ended up not getting. Um, Robert Whitaker had to pull out, but he ended up showing up at the event with the world title around. Uh, yeah, on his I remember that for some reason. Um, and he had staff on the back of his neck. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, look, I've, I've never gotten staff. I've been fortunate enough not to. I, I've been pretty good about showering. I use head and shoulders, particularly after training sessions, because apparently it has an antifungal element to it that, that can kill some of those uh, some of those diseases that you pick up on the mat. Clean mat goes a long way too, man. I, I think, you know, it's easier for yeah. me to speak because I, I don't, tr- you know, I'm not constantly in training camps on the mats two or three times a day, but Kelvin Gastelum does seem to, get it a little bit more often than, than average. But even Dustin Poirier recently had a situation where uh, he had staff at his foot. Uh, King Mo, it arguably led to the end of his career. Like, like staff has made a big difference in a lot of people's careers, and uh, I hope Kelvin Gashlob's okay. I hope it yeah, it's, it's, it's scary. And it got, and it got, it got Ilari uh, Latifi, as is mentioned, because he was like, I had staff. I fought through the fight with staff. I have a temperature. I want to thank the God. And the, commission, the commission's like, bro. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and yeah. And and he like he, I think he retired at the end of that fight and then the UFC cut him and, and like I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but since when does the UFC like, oh we have you under contract and you're retired, we're just gonna let you go because we don't wanna have people under contract. We don't want we don't want to control people's careers like that. Uh, UFC's like, Nope, we're cutting you. Well also, that brings us fight. That brings us into a much bigger issue that you and I have been discussing over the last couple of days, which is a real like kind of like look into the mirror and think about our fandom. I mean, I've been into it for like 15, 16 years, maybe a little bit longer than that now. And I, I mean, I did watch the the very original, like, you know, Hoist Gracie UFC one. I think I watched UFC one through three and I was like, I can't, this stuff is, this is not like blood sport. It's too awkward. Uh, Interesting that, that to you watch. were, that, that but I came back that early. Uh-huh. I did. I did. Well, I, w- I was, I was a heavy, pro, well, I was a heavy pro wrestling guy. And of course I loved blood sport. So you see this thing, and you're essentially like, oh, it's blood sport for real, and you forget it's not like, you know, it's like the difference between watching like pro- professional porn and amateur porn. Amateur porn can be kind of depressing <laughs> and sad. <laughs> and those f- those first fights weren't very technical. They were kind of boring. They they were brutal. You know, there were no gloves. Yeah. Uh, it was really it was you know they they the new the new like unified rule set and everything that happened with the revamp in the mid you know early to mid aughts. Um, well, that, that's with tough. I, get, I think the rules shifted before that, even in the late '90s. Yeah, definitely um, before that. But um, they really, uh, anyway. So I've been a fan since really the tough era started, and I'm just getting tired of making excuses. Like we have this situation with James Krause, who the commentators have been telling us is a genius with this great camp for years. Thank God you got him in your corner. We find out that something unseemly has possibly been going on there for a while, you know, smoke fire, so to speak. But the fact that no one who no one from his camp can take a UFC fight right now is very telling. Um, we've got like it is more well, and more just fighters. For those who don't know, the UFC actually said that they will not allow anyone trained by James Krause to compete in the UFC. So a bunch of fighters actually left the camp. A couple stayed. Go Jeff on. Molina had a fight canceled, right? That's right. That's right. Because he, um, I mean, uh, he chose to stay loyal to him, and and I think Jeff Molina is also a guy that that talked about how he's a big better. Um, hopefully, he wasn't involved in anything, but it might just be that he decided to stay under Kraus. And we've got you know more and more of these fighters that we've grown to love uh, are cozying up to warlords, strongmen, and, and nationalists. You know, Aldo um, with Balsarano. Prof- yeah, providing refuge. For him, although Aldo also apparently has a Minions themed bedroom in his house, but we could talk about that on a different podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just like combined with all of the different guys, um, including yeah, the, Shemaev, like getting with Katarov and company. Right. It's Kadyrov, yeah. It's yeah. It's just like, and then you've got Dana, right? Who who gets into a tiff, a public tiff with his wife at a place in Cabo called Squid Row. And they're drunk, and he says something, and she smacks him, and then he pops her back, open hand slap. Um, Nick, not only does he pop her back, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, nobody talks about this, it looked like he went for another one, like a more aggressive one. Oh, I didn't didn't notice that, but it... The response of ESPN, of Endeavor, of the UFC. Yes, White said I took he took responsibility. Basically, but, zero response. But from there, any of them. well, he said, yeah, he White. You know, White didn't hide from his behavior. Okay, but well, there were no White ramifications. White knew enough to like get ahead of the story. He's media savvy enough to know yes. that he needs. He to was very he was very savvy, but no ramifications. The stupid slap fight league pushed back their launch a week. A week. And that's like, just with TBS, I think. I don't know if it officially pushed back the launch. I think TBS specifically yeah. at first said, we're done with this, and then said, oh, we're just going to push it back a week. Like, it is it is wild, man. It really is. And this slap fight thing, like, how depressing would it be if it ends up being a success? And then how much of another black mark does it put on the sport of MMA? Just, like, you stand there and you allow another human being to, to just club you across the head with their open hand. And, like, there are some horrific knockouts and part of the thing is nick like you can say you can roll with the slap but you're supposed to not move your head if it doesn't end up ending in a knockout if you don't move your head and you don't show much of a reaction you get more credit so like you're not even supposed to defend yourself in any way possible that's a cte factory it's gonna it's gonna lead to a lot of concussions and 
it's I, I mean it's, I, it's I'm not interested in it but the the real point I'm trying to make is because I enjoy the the fight narratives some of which are created by the company some of which just I've taken on or you've taken on based on our experience as fans of the sport people who based on their athletic performance earn our respect our passion our curiosity around what's going to happen when matchups occur we get to see things like Sean O'Malley, Peter Jan. We get to see and experience things like Jiri Prashaska versus Glover Teixeira. And it's like, oh my God, this is why I love this sport. And, I, but I'm at a point, and I don't know where you are, where like I'm feeling really uncomfortable uh, that I make excuses. We have to acknowledge, yes, it is cage fighting. What did we expect? Prize fighting has always been a dirty business. Yeah. But, like, there's there's something around the combination of the sleaziness, the poor behavior, um, and the corporatism, like all combining, that's making it much tough. It's making it feel like I need to defend my fandom in a way that I haven't felt since the the days of aff- wearing affliction. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I didn't feel like I needed to defend my fandom back then. Was, uh, you know, I, 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 I was wearing I was wearing a lot of affliction. I was too, man. <laughs> I don't know about a lot, but I, but I was definitely wearing that style, whether it's affliction or, or or a knockoff brand. But I know what you mean, man. Like it really does feel particularly just grimy right now, more than ever, with all of this kind of uh, coming up to the top at the same time with Balserano not conceding the election and then hanging out at Jose Aldo's house. And then there's, I don't know if you if you read earlier today, there's reports coming out that apparently Jose Aldo's wife allegedly received government payments that were destined for poor people. Like not even a lot of money, like $120 American dollars worth a month. Uh, apparently received payments like that. Jose Aldo received uh, about $40,000, uh, give or take U.S., to host an MMA event that there's no on paper plans for from the Brazilian government under Bolsonaro. So there's some weird, weird shit going on with that. Obviously the Kraus situation, like the less, the less you hear from Kraus himself, the more just, just the, the more bad this looks, especially with, as you alluded to, like literally his entire camp is basically suspended from the sport. Two provinces in Canada have made, uh, I don't know if it's mixed martial arts betting or UFC betting illegal period, um, in their provinces, like not for the next month or so, like as far as, as far as we can see for the foreseeable future. So there's a lot coming off that Kraus thing. Kadyrov, more and more of these fighters that we otherwise like and respect are, are going out there and hanging out with him and his sons and, and, and Chimaev getting beat up by his son in some footage just to like, just to, I don't know, just to make him happy. Like, this is crazy. Um, what's going on over there? By the way, I saw a hilarious, hilarious video of, Kadyrov doing uh, push-ups, like on oh, I saw it. I saw it also. It's hysterical, Nick. There's a crowd around him, and this man, the range of motion. Those are not push-ups. push-ups. No, it's hysterical. Push-ups. The range of motion in his push-ups was probably, and I'm not exaggerating, probably, probably two or three inches. Like not even. Those, how, it was more body shakes. <laughs> it was so bad, <laughs> and, and that kind of thing actually makes me feel slightly better about the fact that he's a terrible human being and that he embarrasses himself this way. And that there's so many people around him that are clapping as if he just did an enormous feat. Um, and, and yeah, and, and this Dana White domestic abuse thing, man, like his mother, there's an interview oh, with his mother God. from years yeah. ago about how, you know, she she kind of made allusions to the fact that, like, maybe this has happened before. And, and yeah, it's, it's just dirty, grimy shit, man. And, and I think, like, Dana and his wife taking the angle of, like, for the sake of our children... Give us our privacy. In other words, don't talk about this shit for the sake of our children. Come on, dude. Like, you're you're gonna use your children in this too. Like, this is bad shit. And yeah, he's not gonna. Like, I can't imagine a world in which he actually has to pay for this in any way. ESPN is put into this weird fucking position where they're not making a single statement about it. They're not. They're not saying a thing about it. And they're keeping him on. And do they really have the power to take him off? Can they afford to take him off? Will the UFC be the same without him there? Um, it's it's just a weird, dirty, grimy thing. But at the end of the day, we are watching some some elite level martial artists apply their trade. Yes, we don't believe we don't believe in a lot of the things that some of these fighters believe in. We don't believe in a lot of the things that most of the fans believe in. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still it's still you know it's martial arts that I'm in love with that I've dedicated my life and career to in a lot of ways. And 
and it's still being applied. It's still evolving throughout the sport. And there's still plenty of fighters who, regardless of their beliefs, are not sharing them out loud. And maybe that's for the best. And I realize that, like, there's some really good people who believe the opposite of what I believe, who, who you know, get a very different version of the news than I get. And, and I, I get all that. I know, I know it's not as simple, but it, it does. It, it feels grimy and it feels icky to be a mixed martial arts fan. Now, um, I don't have, like... Uh, a, a, a tremendous amount of friends who are mixed martial arts fans so I don't necessarily need to defend my fandom out loud to them but it's almost like to myself that I have to be like man this is just yeah, this is unpleasant this is getting hard to be a fan of especially factoring in just the fact that like day to day week to week these guys are kind of piling on their CTE damage and we keep hearing about people like Gary Goodridge and um, look at Phil Baroni man yeah Phil Baroni's in Mexican prison he just murdered his girlfriend Right, and, and I don't know if this is a CTE thing. I know that Josh Barnett, you know, uh, guesstimated that it might be a CTE-related thing. I don't know if this is a CTE thing. Phil Baroni was always a mess of a human being. He was always, you know, he was always going to be on the, on the, on the messy side of life, right? But this is just an extreme end. This is some like pro wrestling 1980s shit where, where you kill your wife or girlfriend and expect to get away with it. Except Phil Baroni didn't have Vince McMahon getting his back. And Vince McMahon worried about this, you know, the the pro wrestling world in general, and therefore making sure that this is a problem that goes away. Um, it, it's it, it is wild, man. But we do have this main event. Um, I think you and I both will be will be uh, rooting for Imovov since Sean Strickland is hard to actually like. Um, guy's kind of an idiot, and and I think he realizes this and, and admits it. He's coming off of that decision loss to Kenner that, quite frankly. Um, could have easily gone either way, right? Like you ended up picking up a point for Cannoneer, but if the judges had it had it the other way, I think nobody would have any more of an issue with it than they did. It was just a super close fight in which Cannoneer landed a handful of hard shots per round, and Strickland landed twenty or thirty, you know, pitter patter jabs per round. Um, curious how how all of this will play out into the. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, into this main event, Nick. But let's get into this, dude. Let's let's break down the card. Let's give our listeners. What they came here to listen to, our breakdown of UFC Fight Night Strickland versus Imovov. Now, I'm going to look back quickly to see which of us is getting the first pick. I had Ole, I had Ole last time. I believe that makes you uh, that makes you with the first pick, Nikolai. What is your first pick for this event? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not wild about the, the odds on this, but I do think it's probably the easiest one to call. I do... I like the 35-year-old Ronnie Barcelos a lot when he when he uh, he really impressed us a couple of years ago when we thought he he almost looked like an Aldo clone in his striking style and his ability to uh, to maintain distance and be really precise. Um, but he's going up against a, a sort of unstoppable fighter who hasn't shown uh, any kryptonite yet in Umar Nurmagomedov. Um, he's kind of a rear naked choke machine at bantamweight and I, you know, my, my instinct is that even if Nurmagomedov does not, um, isn't able to sink the finish that he is going to be able to control, uh, where the fight takes place. I do think the odds are ridiculous here. I think it should be more like a plus 250 or plus 300 versus like plus 800 plus 900, whatever it is. Um, but I'm going to take Nurmagomedov. Now, one thing that we should mention is just this week, um, it was announced that Khabib Nurmagomedov is retiring from coaching. Not just fighting, but retiring from coaching. I don't know exactly what that means. If he felt a sense of victory with Islam Makhachev's, uh, you know, title win, and it's just decided, you know, he's going to hang with his family. But I get the sense that, um, in general, Khabib has been... Uh, a real boon for all Dagestani fighters, uh, regardless of whether they have the same last name as him or not. And I, I'm curious as to what, um, if there's going to be a leadership void or like how much value uh, he was, you know, he's been providing and, and what that, what that matters. There's no doubt he brought a lot of value to the camp. He was, as far as we can tell, the head coach. He was the guy that everyone looked up to and looked to for guidance and advice and leadership. And so this, I mean, this is interesting because it's happening, you know, Khabib, it sounds like, kind of made the decision in the last couple couple few weeks. So the majority of the camp presumably was done by the time Umar, uh, but by the time Khabib had retired. I know they have the same last name, but I don't believe that they're actually related. I, I could be wrong about that, uh, Umar Nurmagomedov and Khabib. Um, so here's the thing. Umar is obviously a great grappler. He's he's not, like, there's two 
types of Dagestani fighters. One is like the tall, lanky um, Magomed Shar- Sharapov type who like really dynamic, explosive striking. Still has a decent wrestling, a decent ground game. And then there's the kind that's almost purely a grappler, like the Islam Makhachev Khabib type, who, yeah, they, they can they can be serviceable on the feet, and I think Islam is more than serviceable on the feet at this point, but but they're really just just really solid, solid grapplers. I would say that Umar might be the closest thing to an in-between, but he he's more of a grappler than anything else. And he gets those takedowns, and he controls guys. The thing is that Honey Barcelos has ridiculous takedown defense. He had been taken down, you know how many times in his UFC career, Nick? My guess would be two. One time in his UFC career, in his UFC debut, in a fight that he won against Kurt Hullabaugh. And Kurt Hullabaugh is a big, big guy uh, for, for 135 pounds. This fight actually may have been at 145 now that I think about it. Um, so it's not that simple. I, I, I think there's a chance that Honey Barcelos might be able to pull out the victory. As far as betting goes, this is either a dog or pass, or you might want to consider... Umar Nurmagomedov uh, at around minus 165, at least on one sports book, minus 200 on a couple of others, by decision. He's not likely to finish Honey Barcelos. Honey is incredibly, incredibly tough. He's incredibly skilled. He's got excellent boxing. He's got a really good ground game. He's got good wrestling, man. But he's not quite as good of a nail as he is a hammer, which I think goes for most people. We haven't seen Umar be a nail either. So I think the odds are absolutely out of this world. Um, I would have probably considered this as a three-pointer, but yeah, I'm picking. I'm picking Umar, man. Like he's he's a really bright prospect. He seems to have the least amount of holes of any of those guys coming out of that camp. Obviously, besides Islam, and then Hody Barcelo, seventeen and three, man, seventeen and three record at a pretty high level throughout his UFC career. Uh, already has a win over a guy like Saeed Nurmagomedov, who's again same last name, a training partner of Umar Nurmagomedov. But Saeed is more of that like dynamic striker. Who also has good wrestling yeah. rather than he's the, also, the elite grappler. Mm-hmm. He's also thirty-five, and thirty-five at bantamweight right. is starting to right. get up there. That's that, that's that's really the thing. And and look, I, I agree with you, Umar Nurmagomedov was the pick here. I just wouldn't have made. And, and as a really bet, because, as uh, a bit, I would as a bet, I like Barcelos. I'm just looking. Listen, man, we're zero zero now. We're all tied up. I'm just I'm yep. look, I'm, yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a I little that. more risk risk averse at the moment. I need you, to bank. You don't need to, to take. Points. You don't need to. You don't need to haymaker your way to to points here. I, I think I think you're making the right call. I probably would have made this a little bit later because there there's another fight or two that I probably uh, edge maybe a little bit more confidently than this one. Maybe I'm wrong too. Um, my next pick is going to be in the Alan Cemento and Carlos Hernandez matchup. Carlos Hernandez trains with Bilal Muhammad uh, with the crew at Valley Flow. He's a smart, well-rounded guy, good volume. Um, got a good get-up game once he's taken down. He's not very physically imposing. He's not very athletic, though, right? Whereas Alon has got fantastic Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, very experienced. Uh, striking and wrestling is kind of catching up to his elite Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but he's a little bit too comfortable on his back and tends to kind of lose close decisions against pretty high-level opposition, which... You know, Carlos Hernandez at eight and one is not. We're talking about a nineteen and six Alan Nascimento versus an eight and one Carlos Hernandez. I, I have some confidence in Nascimento. Again, he can lose the occasional close decision because he's comfortable laying on his back. But I think he should be able to uh, should should probably get the wrestling edge. He should be able to keep top position. In worst case, even on his back, is very dangerous. Standing up, I give uh, I, I probably give Alan the edge. I mean, maybe I'll but uh, maybe I'll swallow my words. But I'm I'm going with Alan Nascimento here. Cool. I uh, I support I support that pick. The uh, I'm going to let's see here. I like um, you may think I'm nuts here. I don't know. I'm gonna go with Zombie Girl Priscilla Cachoeira um, to defeat Sajara Eubanks. I believe this is a fight that's at um, that's at flyweight. I think that Eubanks is. I don't know why she's cutting. Like, tell me if I'm wrong, but she's competed also at bantamweight, and I do think that she's got um, some problems getting down to fly. Um, and she gets, I think she gets really, really tired. We just haven't, we haven't really seen her evolve and expand her game or kind of, I think, find the right weight class. You know, she's seven and seven. Um, I just, yeah, I don't think this is a particularly good matchup for her, and I don't like this weight class for her. Yeah, I, I I think you're making the right pick. Um, maybe a little bit sooner than I would have made, but it's a two pointer, and it's definitely worth investing in because Sajara Eubanks, as much as she has really good offensive grappling, she's good offensive wrestling. She's strong. She's sturdy. Seven and seven record, dude, and she's been on a bit of a rough string lately. She's one and three in her last four fights, dating back to uh, September of 2020. Um, so 
not a not a great position for her in life. Seems like a mediocre human being too. Like there's a domestic violence allegations and, and and all of that sort of thing. Hasn't made weight many times in her career, as you alluded to. Whereas Priscilla Cachorera, she can be taken down pretty easily, which is to Shajara's uh, favor. But Priscilla is very difficult to finish, and I think if Priscilla just makes it through the first round, round and a half, I think she starts to put Eubanks some gets tired. damage. Yeah, Eubanks that's the thing. I, I um, agree with you. I, I think she starts to put some serious damage on her. Although Kashora has been submitted by Jillian Robertson and Valentina Shevchenko, obviously Shevchenko's nothing. Those are of. those are very very high level submission practitioners. We have not seen we have not seen Eubanks Jiu-Jitsu at anything near the level of either of those fighters. Yeah, well, I mean she has very good jujitsu, but you're right in that she's not much of a finisher. Yeah, she did. She did finish Elise Reed uh, with ground and pound in the first round. Elise Reed has looked decent since then. But if you look at her UFC record, I believe that's her only finish since Tough, where she uh, where she got a couple of finishes uh, in, in in the Tough season that eventually led up to her UFC debut. So uh, I agree with you. I think for two points, this is worth the rider. My next pick is going to be in the lightweight matchup between Mateos Rebecki or Rebecki and Nick Fiore. Um, Fiore's a New England cartel guy. He is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and he's facing Mateos Rebecki, who is the heavy hitter, kind of short, short, stocky guy, a uh, pretty crafty grappler himself. He can even catch heel hooks off. You know, he'll kind of lean back for a heel hook and actually get a pretty high percentage. We're talking about Rebecki being 16-1 versus Nick Fiore at 6-0. Fiore's gotten a bunch of cans out of there, and to be fair, he's only 6-0. He should be fighting lower-level opposition. I get that, but let's take this huge step up against the 16-1 guy. We're talking about a guy with three times the level of experience. Um, I'm going to go with Mateus Rebecki here. I think uh, I think he should be able to, um, like maybe after a competitive first round, he should be able to take over and possibly even finish late because Nick has never gone late in a fight. He just doesn't have the experience to do well in this matchup, I think. So Rebecca for Stan. I'm going to just checking the odds again here. There we go. Yeah, this is I don't buy these odds. We've got um you might think I'm crazy for taking this so soon. We've got Dan Iga against Damon Jackson. And Damon Jackson's kind of overperformed a bit. He's got good he's got good jujitsu. Doesn't seem like the strongest guy um in the world, but he's 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 very durable. He's got a great will to win. But he's making a big leap leap up here to Dan Iga, who's on a uh, a bit of a uh, he's on a three-fight losing streak. But those losses, if memory serves, have been to... There was Qatar he lost to. There was Evloev. Um, he lost... Elite, elite also, competition, no doubt about elite, it. Elite, yeah. yeah, elite, absolutely. Like, he's been losing to um, absolutely, like, elite fighters. And I just think that his uh, his strength and and wrestling ability is... that this is a, I think this is a level too high uh, for Damon Jackson and that this is kind of a get-right fight. Um, for a guy who's on the you know the lower end of the top fifteen, uh, maybe just on the outskirts of that uh, uh, in this division, I don't. I, I just I'm not a I'm not a buyer on Damon Jack like a believer rather on Damon Jackson as uh, as as someone who's got the skills to break into that top fifteen despite his wins against Charles Rosa, Kamuela Kirk, Pat Sabatini, etc. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because if you look at Damon Jackson's record, 22-4 and four is really impressive. UFC record is 5-2, one draw, and one no contest. 5-2, and two, pretty good UFC record. Although, with that no contest, I believe he was finished in, and then it was overturned because of maybe a steroid uh, uh, failure. LFA, 7-1 record. That's really good, man. Bellator, 2-0 record. Guy's done, like, pretty okay for himself overall. Four-fight winning streak in the UFC is impressive, but like you alluded to, this is much lower level of competition. Daniel yeah. Argueta, Kamuela Kirk, Charles Rosa. What would Dan Ige do against these guys? He would do really well. That's what he would do. Yeah, Pat instead he got served up Evloev, Emmett, and Korean Zombie. You know, that's a rough... Yeah, and to be, to be fair, he's worked his way up to that level, right? He's worked his way up as either uh, a high-level gatekeeper or a contender, and... And but but now look the question is does he have the motivation is he really in this um, I believe he trains at uh, at Extreme Couture with the team there which is a pretty solid team it's really been coming up on the radar lately and I think a lot of fighters are preferring to train there because of the easy access to UFC PI which for strength and conditioning for uh, for for just rehab for for uh, physical therapy like there's nothing. Uh, like that, that these fighters have access to at, at a local, you know, dingy gym in Oklahoma or what have you. So, look, I, I agree with you on Dan Ige. Um, I think he should do well here. But 
Damon Jackson ju- did just beat Pat Sabatini, who I think was a big favorite. Pat Sabatini was 17-3 and three going into that fight. He was seen as a serious prospect, known as a really good grappler. Um, you know, pretty pretty effective, you know, decent striker, hard hitter. So th- there's there's reasons to there's reasons to be trepidatious about this, but I did have this coming up fairly soon. Like, I, I see where you're coming from on this pick. I, I don't think it's the wrong one to make. My next pick is going to be... I think I'm going to go for an underdog pick in the uh, Charles Johnson and Jimmy Flick matchup. Charles Johnson has been active. He's been doing fairly well. 12-3 and overall. I think he's 1-1 one one in the UFC, although he arguably should be 0-2 in the UFC after that uh, bad decision that he got over Zhaga Zhumagulov, who ended up retiring afterward. He's facing Jimmy Flick, who's coming back after retiring a couple of years ago. And 16-5 and overall is a pretty good record for Jimmy Flick, but the problem is, like, where's his head at? Is he really in it? Is he really going to be, like... Is, is he really mentally where he should be to be an elite fighter? He literally made the decision to hang up his gloves, period, completely, period. And then I think I think something along the lines of him wanting to spend more time with his family, and then I think he and his wife ended up getting a divorce, and so he's back. Like, is this the foundation under which you want to restart your MMA career? I don't know, but at plus 250 against Charles Johnson, Charles Johnson can be taken down. He gets up pretty well. He has good striking, but he doesn't get going for a while, man. He's a patient guy. He's good for five-round fights. This is not going to be a five-round fight. And as much as, like, maybe all else being the same, I would favor Charles Johnson because he's been active and he's been involved and he's been, you know, he's, he's fought fairly recently, whereas Flick is coming off for retirement. I think I'm going to give Flick, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Flick the edge here. He's got really, really, really crafty grappling, man. The guy can just catch you on a transition like few others can. And I'm, I'm going to take the plus 250 for three-point potential here and take Jimmy Flick. You're going with Flick. I'm going with Flick for three points, yes. Interesting. For three. Holy shit. Okay. Um, I like Johnson in that role with the fight in November. But I'm going to go... Um, I'm going to go main event here. And my pick... As the fight changed, right? Kelvin Gaslam falls out. Sean Strickland comes in. I am no fan of Sean Strickland. I don't really enjoy his fights. I don't like listening to him as a person. Um, and I like... I tend to like... Uh, Imavov. I've enjoyed watching him him fight a lot. I like his style. Um, I, I like you know his camp. The fact that he's he's a guy that trains with Cyril Gan, uh, etc. But in this fight, a five rounder, knowing that that Strickland has he had the fight a camp for Alex Pahea. He came back pretty quickly from that. He fought against Cannonier, a heavy a heavy hitter, um, and and came out of that fight not taking too much. Uh, not taking like I mean he got hit but he didn't take all that much damage like Sean Strickland's generally pretty good at um, not taking a lot of damage he's he's smart about like keeping range he's got good head movement um, he's a good boxer Imavov's a dangerous guy but I don't know that he's um, I don't know that he's going to have the output or the cardio to mess with Strickland and if he does not put Strickland away in the first two rounds which almost no one has done. Right, uh, except that we saw a we saw a giant, absolutely elite, world class striker, you know, do it a couple months ago. But as good as Imavov is, he doesn't have Pahea firepower or size. So, like, I see this. Um, I think this is a. I mean, he's not quite a, a prospect really because he's been around a bit. But I see this as like a learn from a, a learn and get better loss uh, for Imavov. And Strickland, if he's able to do his thing, lean on his cardio, maintain his output, and um, avoid the big shot, which he's usually able to do, I think he should be able to strong Strickland his way to a decision victory. Yeah, um, I you know this one is one of the least confident fights for me due to some of the reasons that you kind of alluded to. Imavov obviously is dynamic. He's got really good grappling. He's got a sick guillotine choke. If you go for takedowns or anything of that sort, you give him that opportunity, he will take it and he will he will he will get it deep. Um, the thing is, yeah, there's some concern about his last fight, uh, in which he fought. Um, hold on, let me let me quickly l- l- look at his record. I forget the name of this gentleman, even though I'm very familiar with him. In which he fought Joaquin, Joaquin Buckley. Buckley and, yeah, yeah, he was styling on Buckley for two rounds. In fact, in that second round, he was going for the finish because he had buzzed him several times. He was he was he was going rough shot on him. And then I think because of the output in that second round, he ended up not looking so great in the third round. And if you think about it, Buckley, who looked great for cardio in that fight, if you look at his fight against uh, against the guy that's going to be fighting uh, uh, on this event as well, Abdul, Abdul Razak al-Hassan, he lost the second round to... Uh, sorry, he won the second round in dominant fashion against Razak al-Hassan. In fact, 
you know, not far from a finish a couple times, but he expended so much energy that that third round, he was exhausted, Where and Razak Hassan, who's not known for his cardio, ended up winning that third round. Wait, argument, against right? wait against who? Against Imavov? Uh, no, against Razak Hassan. So No, I know, but who against, who against Razak Hassan? Uh, Buckley. Oh, Buckley. I'm sorry. I thought you were, for a minute, I thought you were mistaking... Alhazan for Phil no, no, Hawes. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. part of uh, my part bad. Of, oh no, no, no. Uh, so, so part of what part of like my point here is that I don't know for sh- like I'm not as confident that Imovov's cardio is not great. I just think he expended so much energy in that second round. And the thing is that he does tend to throw power shots. He tends to go for dynamic takedowns. Is he built for five rounds? I don't know, but I, I figure with I think you're forgetting. Gun, Can I interrupt you, mm-hmm, sir? Please, good sir. Yeah. I think you're yeah. forgetting a couple of fights. I think you're forgetting the Phil Hawes fight and the Jordan Williams fight. Where I remember, I remember Imabov like getting kind of like pulled into like wars, like and yeah. and and not having a great second half of the fight. So I think those things. No, were, it, those... Was, it was actually the opposite. He took over against Phil Hawes, and and honestly, I thought he edged that fight. I thought oh, I thought Fa- I I remembered Hawes having a big third round, but I could be that could be mistaking it with another fight. I could have I, I, I could have sworn Hawes was barely 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 surviving late in that fight. Because he was so exhausted, because he was close to finishing him above in that first round. Um, but you're right, Jordan Williams did make a firefight out of it. Jordan Williams has hardened. Jordan Williams has been smoked by higher level, uh, by lower level guys since that fight than Imovov. So there is some concern. But the thing is that Sean Strickland doesn't have the power of Phil Hawes and Jordan Williams, or even Joaquin Buckley, or even Edmund Shabazian for that matter. Like like the majority of the opponents that uh, Imovov has fought in the UFC hit way harder than Sean Strickland does. To be fair, Sean Strickland's not a hard hitter. That's not what he's good at. It's his output that's impressive. And he has way higher output than Imovov. So uh, I, I think, uh, I think. look, if Sean Strickland had a full training camp, I would have I would have edged Sean Strickland. I would have been on the same page as you. But on a few days' notice, after basically snowboarding and, 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 and going kayaking or whatever the fuck Sean Strickland does with his off time, um, it sounds like he's been off off the radar entirely when it comes to training, even though he's a guy that's known for sparring regularly. Um, it, it also he insisted on this fight being a two hundred and five pounds, Nick. What oh, I don't tell you th- about the shape that he's in. I actually didn't was not aware of that detail. Yeah, so that's, and, that's interesting. And t- and t- to be fair, it's a few days' notice. Like, do I do I get that? Yes. And is there a fair chance? That, like, three weeks is that enough time to lose all, all your cardio? Absolutely not. Especially when to begin with, like, he didn't look tired at all in that fifth round of his last fight. So, th- th- there's some logic behind what you're saying. But Nasrdinovov being the the slightly taller guy, being the heavier hitter. Um, knowing that this was coming up for months now and training for a five-rounder, not having a few weeks off. I'm edging Imovov, but Strickland with a full training camp, I would have edged him, man. Like, uh, even though he's much less dynamic, I think his experience, his craft, uh, would have come together with a good training camp. But well, the other yeah. thing is, uh-huh. Imovov, yeah. you know, spent his time, like, training to deal with, you know, a, like, a head-hunting wrestle boxer whose output True. isn't amazing. True. And, like, is, you know, is he going to be prepped and ready for Sean Strickland's pressure style. I wonder. I really do wonder that myself. Uh, but Sean Strickland wasn't preparing for a fight at all. But then again, Sean Strickland just came off of fighting Sean Strickland of knows who, on planet Earth. He, Sean Strickland knows who he is as a fighter, and he's going to lean into the same skills. So, yeah, like, yeah I, mean, I do hear that. I, I was watching, uh, shortly before you and I got on, I was watching an interview with Sean Strickland, and uh, I think it was the Schmo, and... You know, he doesn't sound super confident. He doesn't sound like he'd been training. You know what I mean? The way he's talking is not like, I'm going to fuck this guy up. The way he's talking is like, listen, I'm going to do my best. I'm as ready as I can be. I haven't seen any tape on this guy. What should I do? Like, I know he, he kids around and he's silly like that, but it just, you know, it, it, it's not a huge vote of confidence in his favor. Again, I'm edging Imovov, but all else being the same as Sean Strickland or full training camp at 185, I would have been Sean Strickland. So it's it's literally the odds are, I think, about where they should be given the circumstances where it's dead even. I think the line opened at Nasruddin Imovov as a, as a decent favorite at minus 170 and quickly got bet to this point where they're where they're an absolute pick now. So, you know, it's 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 interesting, and I'm curious how this is all going to play out, but it's just hard to be confident in Strickland, you know, without knowing that he's been in the gym this entire time. Oh. But again, yeah. having said that, in three weeks, you know, if I'm not training a whole lot in three weeks, doesn't mean I lose all my cardio, man. Like, I, it's still a bit of a gas tank, especially with the way that Sean Strickland doesn't expend a lot of energy. 
Um, he, he knows how to pitter-patter those shots in a way. Yeah, it doesn't hit hard. It doesn't end up hurting people, but he also doesn't end up expending a lot of energy. So I, I don't think he'll be exhausted in the second half of this fight. There's a chance he'll have more energy in the second half of this fight than Imovov, who I expect to look pretty decent in the first couple of rounds. Um, again, Pickham could go either way. It was one of my least confident picks, but, uh, but, I, but I hear where you're coming from on this one. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Javid Basharat and Mateos Mendonca. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I hope so. Javid's a tall, high-output uh, fighter, really good defense, good takedown defense as well. And uh, Mendoza's a young guy from Shooter Box Diego Lima. He's super aggressive, explosive, he's well-rounded. I mean, you know, a lot of those guys coming out of that camp are really kind of the the not the kind of poorer man's Charles Oliveira, which, you know, is still a pretty great fighter. Um, I think that Mateos, like, Mendonca, I think I think he's got a lot of potential. I just don't love this fight for him. Javid, you know, the, the way that he keeps his range that he's comfortable with, he's, he's really crafty and hard to hit. I think he lands something like six strikes per minute and takes only two strikes per minute, right? Mateos is going to be aggressive, so it might, it might be the equalizer here, but I'm giving Javid Basharat the edge. Interesting. Let me mark that down. I'm going to go for my next fight with, you know, we've got a uh, kind of an elder stateswoman of the division in in Rocky Pennington, uh, although she's only she's only 34, um, and she's and she's put together after a bit of uh, you know taking some some lumps against elite competition, um, kind of has taken a step down, and over the last two years. Um, his one, you know, decisions and mixed in a choke against older fighters like uh, Marion Renault, uh, as well as um, stopping prospects like Macy Chazan, uh, Aspen Ladd, and Penny uh, Kenzad. Um, and now she's um, she's going up against Caitlin Vieira, who's had pretty good results. She sometimes like flubs. Like how the hell did she lose to Yana Kunitskaya? Um, and she, you know, she also ate one from. Uh, from Irene Aldana, which is understandable. But um, I believe that the younger, you know, the younger, bigger fighter uh, in Caitlin Vieira should have, um, should be fresher, like athletic enough and have enough, I think, um, pop and diversity of skills to like eke out a decision against, against Pennington. As good as Pennington has looked in her, you know, in her more recent fights, I think we're just, this is, for me, I think this is like a changing of the guard fight, like almost like a level of gatekeeper swap. Yeah, um, I, I think eek is the right word because this is likely to be close and competitive. I, I, I'm i edging Raquel Pennington. I think you and I have disagreed on her fights a lot and she is really successful, dude. She tends to win these fucking fights. The people she loses to are Amanda Nunes, Jermaine Durandamy, and Holly Holm. The people she beats... Marion Renault, Panic Yanzad, Macy Chazon, Aspen Ladd, Irina Aldana, Misha Tate, right? Like the, the people that Raquel Pennington beats are right about where Caitlin Vera is in her career. Raquel Pennington at this point has the kind of craft to make those smart decisions late in a fight, in a close fight, and take over the match and make sure that she secures the decision. For that reason, I'm edging her away. But Caitlin Vera, again, she's been looking really solid lately. I think like... You know, the, the Holly Holm decision is debatable and could easily go either way. The Misha Tate decision I thought was pretty debatable too, to be honest. And we all know Misha Tate is not really, she's not really on that level. Uh, whether coming back or not, like she, Lauren Murphy kind of pieced her up. Like M- Misha Tate is not on that level. And maybe some people thought that she was going into that Caitlin Barra fight. And that's why they were surprised that Vera beat her. But again, it was a super close competitive fight that could have easily gone either way. I'm going with Raquel Pennington, who's proven that anybody but the very, very, very best she is going to beat. And more often than not, on the decisive side. I do expect I, that this will be close and competitive. I, yeah. I just think Pennington's going to make some good decisions late. And I think this is, and I, you know, counter to that, I think that this is the fight. Because I really think that Caitlin Vera, like a lot of her problems are mental. And I think that, um, which is like literally the most important thing in the sport. You can, I know, you can but I but technique. I think I think yeah. this is I think that her recent successes and some of those things going her way against like big like like intimidating fighters with respect to their experience and names and being former champions, etc. Like I believe that she will have turned the corner and that this I just think this is going to be a little bit of a of like a recoming out fight for her. Like I feel. I, I don't know. I feel like she's going to have her head together. Maybe I'm wrong. 
Yeah, I, I could see that. I'm looking at MMA decisions. The Holly Holm fight, uh, almost every media member except for two. Let me see here. Three, six, nine, 12, 15, 18 media members scored it for Holm and two scored it for Vieira. Vieira. No, I think Holly Holm is a much tougher fight than, than Rocky Pennington. Uh, yeah, in, in, in some ways, certainly. And, and Holly Holm did uh, try to do to Caitlin Vera the same thing she did successfully to Pennington and that she just kind of held on to her in the clinch in hopes that the judges were to ward, ward her decision, but they favored Caitlin Vera's aggression and damage. I think Pennington's going to do damage. I think she has the takedown options. I don't think she's going to be taken down easily by Vera's uh, judo. Again, you, you might be right. This is probably going to be close, but uh, but I'm, I'm edging toward Pennington. She is... Uh, you know, she's worked out for me the majority of the time that I believed in her, and, and I'm going to believe in her in this one. Um, although, again, if you look at records 13 and 2 for Vera versus 14 and 8 for Pennington, you know, you, you take out the fact that Pennington's fought the very elite and entered the UFC with a sh- spotty record to begin with. Um, you know, it, 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 it looks like Caitlin Vera should have the edge here if you look just at the records. Next one, I'm going to take. <sighs> From the matchup between Abdul Razak Al Hassan and Claudio Hiberio. Hibero's like a knockout artist. He's a big dude, big fella for 185, I believe this fight is at. And, uh, you know, I, I saw his, like, he had a five-round fight uh, two fights ago, and it was against this Brazilian grappler with an even record, like something like a 24-20 and 20 record. And, dude, the, this Brazilian grappler who took this fight, this five-round title fight on something like two or three days' notice, won the first two or three rounds by just holding on to him against the cage. And Hibero had no answer for that. Abdul Razak al-Hassan. Also a knockout artist. In fact, I think all 11 of his wins are by first-round knockout, if I'm not mistaken. He doesn't tend to win fights that go deep. Um, but he's got the craft. He's got the experience. He's been in the UFC for ages. He now trains in Denver. He moved on from Fortis MMA, trains at Elevation, and it was a good sign for his cardio, as we saw in the matchup against Joaquin Buckley, where he had a good third round. We haven't seen this man have a good third round ever. Like, I don't know if we've ever seen him look particularly good after a first round. So I think that's probably to his credit. And he arguably should have gotten that Buckley decision. Uh, I, I scored it for him anyway. Um, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm, like, Munir Laziz is, is a bit of a concern, right? That's a guy who, in his UFC debut, beat uh Al Hassan, but I think Munir's an overall better fighter on paper as of now than Hibero. Could be that Hibero's make, made some big shifts up and and really stepped up uh, in 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 his overall game since two fights ago, where where he had that weird decision where he ended up getting a fifth round TKO because his opponent retired at 40 years old on three days notice in a five round fight. But I'm going to take Abdul Razak Al Hassan, who by the way got a couple takedowns on Buckley, who I think can get takedowns against Hibero here, even if uh, even if standing up seems a little bit risky. Yeah, I mean, this fight's close to a pick but I like, uh, I've always liked uh, Abdul Razak Hassan, and I felt like he really proved something to himself in that Buckley fight. Um, he really left it all out there. He was fighting like a guy who was, you know, leaving it all in there, gave everything he could, didn't care if he lived or died. Like, yeah. I, I've i liked the way that he dealt with, you know, a legal situation where he was apparently innocent and, like, sat out for a bit, dealt with that was had his his kind of Houston what I'll call like the Houston Alexander wins where he was he seemed unstoppable and he was just flattening guys and then slammed into adversity, right? Um you know against what, what's his name Lazier. I forgot that he uh yeah Munir Lazier yeah. beat him. I forgot that he had a domestic Lizzie. violence allegation too. Um and he you know, he got his kind of come up in that fight a bit and has had a had a, a bit of a tough go since then, but it seemed to me like he got over something in that in that Buckley fight, and I still I, I like his power, and I think if he's if he's a little more measured, which I think he can do now, he can stay dangerous through 15 minutes, um, and I think that that changes it because that makes his opponents his opponents game plan changes to I've got to worry about my head for 15 minutes, not survive three and a half. Um, so I've got a good, I've got a good, I agree with you. I've got a good feeling about him in this fight. He's a guy I've wanted to succeed, see succeed. Um, the next fight, this is going to be a, a main card banger. I think the odds are a little off. You've got, uh, Punaheli Soriano against Roman Kapilov. Uh, Soriano, heavy hands, the favorite. Kapilov, also a good striker, um, is the underdog at plus 135. But the fact is, I think... I could see this being a, a one-round fight or end early in the second round. And I, I, these guys are going to crack one another. I just think that's what's going to happen. And if 
if I have to put my money on durability right now, I think I err on the side of Kapilov for being slightly more durable than Suriano. I don't, I mean, I don't know. Either either one could happen. This is just, this is one of those fights where I think someone's going to get cracked and go down and then either get choked out or or finished uh, you know, finished via ground and pound. I'm going to pick uh, I'm going to pick Kapilov even though I like Soriano a whole hell of a lot. Yeah, um I'm I'm leaning slightly towards Soriano, but again, extremely slightly. I think the odds should be absolutely a pick him here. Soriano's a decent sized favorite and I think part of that is because he's known for his uh, wrestling he's known for the serious power he has he's pretty accurate with that right hand as well that right hand is going to work well against the southpaw and kopolov who's himself a very good boxer he's very fast low output both of these guys are pretty low output and i think that's the biggest kind of knock on each of them kopolov's left kick they're kill strike kill strike fighters yeah true um although kopolov more of an attritional striker where he's less likely to just bonk you in the first round more likely to just build up on you over time and just like land enough strikes uh, to, to just cause enough damage to make you want to get out of there and kind of finish you that way. Kind of Michael Bisping almost style, but sharper. Um, obviously less gifts than Michael Bisping overall mentally. But um, it's basically like both are good, have good hands. Both have power in their hands. It's Kopolov's left body kick, which targets the liver against Soriano's wrestling. Um, I, ended up, uh, I ended up inching slightly towards Soriano, but, but I wouldn't be surprised if it goes the other way. Soriano trains with Extreme Couture, which is good for him, obviously. Roman Kopolov's been training with some Dagestani guys, I think maybe in Dagestan, uh, judging by social media, which is also to his credit for a, a really sharp boxer to be training with a bunch of really, really nasty wrestlers is going to do dividends, pay dividends for both these guys. So interested in seeing where their careers progress. I don't, I don't expect a very high ceiling for either guy, but this will be an entertaining one. Um, again, uh, officially slightly disagreeing with you and, and picking Soriano, but not with confidence. My next pick is going to be in the only fight left in the Nick Aguirre-Daniel Argueta matchup. Nick looked good against low-level opposition, good Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but I mean, we're talking about like bottom of the rung, like 1-2, and 2-0, and 1-1 oh, one one records. Um, and then he... He's never really gone deep into a fight. I think the furthest he's gone is second round. On top of that, he took this fight on a few days' notice without the experience and at athleticism to kind of have a solid shot of success in the UFC, I think, at this point. Whereas uh, Argueta is a Division II wrestler. I think he should take over after kind of a competitive first round. He's more experienced in fights going deep and against guys with solid records. He lost to Ricky Tertios and, um, uh, on tough after being Ortega's, I think, first pick in that season. And he lost to Damon Jackson on short notice recently. But this is a huge step down in, in competition. Unless unless Aguirre is something truly special, I expect Argueta to do well here. So I've got uh, Daniel Argueta to beat uh, Nick Aguirre as my as my last pick. Nick, I'm quickly going to run through our picks on this one. Again, this is fascinating because this is the first competition of the season. We're going to see which one of us can, can get the edge over the other. Your first pick. Yeah, I'm worried. Yeah, oh, dude, it, it easily could go either way. But there's so much room to maneuver in, in the next few weeks as we kind of solidify uh, one of us getting into the lead. Uh, your first pick was Umar Nurmagomedov over Honey Barcelos. Second, you took uh, Priscilla Cachuera to beat Sajara Eubanks as a two-point underdog. Smart move on your part. Then you took uh, Dan Ige to beat Damon Jackson. After that, you by the way, Dan Ige, very close friends with Soriano, and they actually literally grew up together, went to the same high school, wrestled together. Um, then you took... Uh, who did you do? Did you take uh, Imovov? You took Strickland over Imovov, which I disagreed with very slightly. You then took uh, Caitlin Vera over Raquel Pennington, which I also disagreed with. Your next pick with was uh, Roman Kopolov over Punaheli Soriano, which I also disagreed with. So this is interesting in that we're disagreeing on a handful of these picks, which on paper look very, very close. It's understandable. My first pick was Alan Nascimento to be Carlos Hernandez. Second, I took um, Mateos Rebeski, I think is how you're saying his name, over Nick Fiore. Third, I took Jimmy Flick to submit Charles Johnson for three points. Given the value, it was hard for me to resist, even though I'm kind of favoring Johnson, all else being equal slightly. Um, next, Javid Basharat I picked over Mateos uh, Mendonca, who, you know, I think Basharat m- might be something special. Uh, we've yet to see. Next, I took Abdul Razak Al-Hassan to beat Claudio Hiberio. And my last pick was Daniel Argueta to beat Nick Aguirre. Um, I, I kind of, like, the ones that we disagreed on, you tended to pick, which I think... Hopefully, is in my favor because you know on paper at least the the the, the less the, the the less sure ones are in on your side of the of the docket at least from my perspective. But I'm very curious how this shakes out, man. This this should be an interesting card. It's not a fantastic card, but it's a decent one, I think, for the UFC to make a comeback in January. Yeah, I mean, also a question. This is the first. This is the second time I read that 
the same fighters headline back-to-back cards. What was the first? I, I didn't realize it was the second time. I, I, I'm actually not sure. I can run a quick Google search, but just quickly, uh, you, you know how... Was it, Le- was it Lieben? Did, I think was, it might I can't be remember right, who... although I don't know if that was a main event. Lieben Akiyama was uh, right. definitely a main event, but I'm trying to remember what... The, I bet you it was Lieben. Let me see. Let me see. I'm quickly looking it up here. Um, no, I'm, I'm either using the, the, the wrong search terms, but... No, I, I, I'm, was, I'm, not, I'm not getting it. Oh, wait a minute. Hang on. I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I, I would be. I would be somewhat, somewhat surprised if if this wasn't the first time. Two main events in a row with most events being a week apart. This is just a rare exception of two events being a month apart, where it's just like more plausible. I just feel like this is probably the time where one fighter main events twice in a row. Also, it's interesting. No, it was. I read. I read that it was the, specifically. It was, it was the second time it's happened. Right, fair enough. Um, I wonder if it was back back in the UFC dark ages. But Lieben wouldn't surprise me. I do remember Lieben making a quick turnaround where he had a little bit of a resurgence in his career, a little bit of a hot streak. Uh, Nick, did you see uh, that? First of all, Sean O'Malley came out, and you can probably hear my my eight month old daughter crying in the background. Uh, Sean O'Malley came out and defended Dana White and said, you know, she does, you know, she deserved to be smacked back because she slapped Dana and made no clear indication that it was a joke at the time that he wasn't being serious. Then Dana comes out and says, nobody should be defending me. I was wrong. Nobody should be defending me. Um, and then Sean O'Malley comes out and says, oh, you know, I was obviously just joking. Like, I was totally kidding around. Like, this whole podcast is just a joke. Like, everybody knows we joke 95% of the time. It's like so ridiculous, man. Sean O'Malley being the bootlicker that he is. But... You know, it's it's a hard thing for, I think, a lot of UFC fighters who genuinely disagree with Dana. Like, they've been given permission to say that what he did was wrong, but they're they're skirting that line. They're being real careful with guys oh, like yeah. Daniel Cormier and Poirier. You have to be men. You will get retribution. This could negatively affect your career, and you get asked by the media, you have to answer. You have a show like Daniel Cormier, who I know he's a notorious bootlicker. You have to answer, right? You, you, got, you got to talk about it to some extent. And you, you have a lot of these guys like Stephen A. Smith and Cormier who are probably texting Dana right before they go on air to, to talk about the incident and, and putting it in the most favorable light for him as humanly possible while still saying the obvious that it was wrong for him to do it. Uh, weird, weird shenanigans in MMA, man. But, um, you know, it, it, again, Dana White being media savvy enough to jump ahead of this is, is his best bet. And to be honest... It's working, unfortunately. Like this is going to be forgotten about in three months, and he's going to get away with it, and and presumably he won't he won't be stupid enough to do it in public again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just so much. It's bad for the UFC. It's bad in general. How the slap federation can go forward know, is man. just Talk beyond. That's the thing beyond beyond. That's beyond my comprehension. Yeah. Um. um for, for them to so, cancel the whole thing would be a form of a form of punishment for Dana and, and etc. Um, and Dana's assertion, like he did a media scrum where he was like, he tried to get ahead of it so that media wouldn't ask fighters about it much, knowing that it puts fighters in a weird position and, and he doesn't want to, he doesn't want them to actually talk shit about him. So he went out and said, my punishment is that like, I did this, that everyone knows I did this for the rest of my life. People will know that I did this. Like that is not, that is not anybody else's punishment, dude. That is only you get to get away. That's what I said. He said, yeah, I tweeted somebody. I, uh, he, it must be great to set the guardrails of consequences, you know? Right. Yes. To, to be able to kind of decide on your own punishment essentially, or lack thereof in this case. Yeah. It's, it's wild how that works. But look, we, we all know that the world is not fair and people who are more powerful and, and, and more, have more money are going to tend to have ways to swiggle out of these things rather you know uh, over people who are just regular folks and and that's just the way this this world works um unfortunately nikolai wishing wishing the best to uh, to any any domestic abused out there whether it be wh- whether it be you know uh, uh, a public incident or in private hoping people are, are getting through these times and I'm, and I'm hoping we get less and less of that over time hopefully this will be a fun ufc card to take our mind off of the terrible negativity throughout the mixed martial arts world right now nick yeah and like this card is you know, a bit of a stutter step to start the year. Um, we got a pay-per-view coming up, don't we? We do. It's Glover Teixeira, Jamal Hill. You know, which you, is, you just pronounced one H in Jamal Hill, Nick. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jamal Hill. Um, yeah, which... Uh, um, Glover Teixeira, Jamal... Oh, we, I completely forgot. How did I forget this? We've got Figueredo Moreno 4 yep. underneath here. Yep. That's a, that's a pretty good fight. Johnny Walker, Paul Craig is going to be... 
I mean, I hope it's going to be. It could be really. It's either horrible fight or a, a very exciting fight. There's really no other way. Like either one of these guys is dominating the other at any point, or or they're just standing in front of each other doing nothing. And there's no in between. I don't think Jessica Andrade, Lauren Murphy's a solid fight. Gilbert Burns, excuse me, Gilbert Burns, Neil Magny is solid. Um, let me see. Munir Laziz is making a comeback. You know, which uh, 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 Josiane Nunes, who I think is two and zero or three and zero with 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 all knockouts in the UFC. Is uh, facing off with Zara F- uh, Fyrne. Um, Shogun Hu is coming back against Ihor Pretoria. Um, Terrence McKinney's on this There's some one. finishers, man. There's some. Jilton you got Almeida. Gregory Rodriguez. Go. You, yeah, you got Jilton right. Almeida in a fight. He should definitely win. You've got some Brazilian heavy hitters on this card. You got Andrade. That's right. Burns. That's right. You got McKinney. You've got Almeida. McKinney's not, um, obviously, not Brazilian, but you've got Gregory Rodriguez. You've this. There's some. You know, there's some bombers. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. This will be interesting. Also, Tiago Moises is getting, like, a UFC debuting opponent. Like, how do you go from... I think it was a last-minute replacement, maybe? But how do you go from fighting, like, top contenders Makachev. to, like, a guy that doesn't yeah. belong there at all? Oh, uh, Guram Kutudaladze recently pulled out. I get that. That's fair. Uh, it's, it's not like he, like, chose this fight. Um, he was going to fight, you know, uh, uh, an opponent that's fair for that level. Yeah, so, uh, again, pay-per-view looks good. It's in Brazil, so obviously crowd's going to be in favor of the Brazilians. Yeah. Um, some Brazilians that maybe wouldn't Shogun. have won otherwise are going to win. Uh, Shogun's best bet to, to win in the UFC is against a guy on Ihor's level in Brazil. So we'll see what happens. Either that'll be really depressing for, for the entire arena and, and people watching, or it'll be or it'll be uh, maybe Shogun's one last hurrah. We'll see. Could be depressing and Shogun still wins like a decision in which he just holds him down. That's possible too, man. Possibilities are endless yeah. and not uh, necessarily. This is, so, this is okay. Like, and it could be that you know, if Glover wins, it's going to be really exciting. If Jamal Hill, like, if Glover gets massacred, it'll be a kind of a bummer. Yeah, I like, I like, I like Jamal Hill. I don't know if I think he's light, light heavyweight champion material, but him against Jerry would be, I mean, that'd be pretty thrilling. Yeah, yeah, it would. And this this whole thing reminds me of when Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre, uh, when they lost their titles there, there became just a round robin of people holding those belts after one man held up for a long period of time and I'm sure that'll happen after Valentina Shevchenko and maybe after Amanda Nunes right where that's what we're seeing at light heavyweight right now where there's no clear indication that the guy holding the belt is the champion in fact there's good reason to believe the guy holding the belt uh, this Saturday is not the best fighter on the planet at that weight division right even if you take John Jones out of the equation it, it is it is a weird confluence of factors. Also, what if Jamal Hill wins more decisively than did Yuri Prochaska? Does that mean that now maybe now maybe there's more intrigue uh, between you know a matchup between oh, Hill Prochaska? Hill, Hill Prochaska is a big. I mean, that's a big fight with the young younger stars of the division for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's but, a big and, fight and, as far as pay per view sales, but it's an exciting. No, fight. no, but for fans, it's an exciting. Yeah, it's an exciting fight for. Um, but I, you know. Hill's really good, but Glover is still pretty durable. Yeah, we've only seen him get like flattened a couple of times by like Rumble. I don't think Jamal Hill is as hard as he hits hits as hard as Rumble. I don't know about that. And man. Glover, the way he shuts people. I don't, off I don't think I don't think anybody hit harder than Rumble though. I um, but it's uh, but Glover's yeah, much I mean, more, I could certainly much more, uh, you know he's he's more skilled, he's more experienced, somehow more durable than back then. I think but he was we, going through. Rough I don't know. Patch. We also. We also expected Glover to get hurt early against Prochaska, yeah. and Glover Glover took it to him. It's true, yeah. you know, like and if Glover gets Hill on his like Hill really has to be worried about the takedown because if Glover can get on top, take a couple of shots and get this against the cage right. and get on top, Hill's in a lot of trouble. I, I think you're probably. I mean, I, uh, I think Hill's, Hill has a formidable ground game, but not Glover Teixeira on top of you formidable like that's. That's a scary thought for I would say any light heavyweight. Like having Glover on top of you is, is frightening, and and only the kind of cream of the crop would survive a, rep, a round or two with Glover on top of them. So we're gonna see if uh, if if that describes Hillman Hill, who got taken down a bunch of times in his UFC debut just a few short years ago. Curious how much uh, progression he's made since then. Yeah, this will certainly answer a lot of questions. Well, looking forward to it. Yeah, brother. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it. Also, it's just I've got to get a little bit of my love for the sport back. I know what you mean. Um, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, the, rough this end card of the year, we'll do, like we'll, seeing, we'll make for some decent moments. Hopefully, I hope so. But like my favorite fighter retired after getting knocked out terribly. Yeah. And the last the last couple of months have not been doing much for my uh, my passion for the sport. I have to do things like go back and watch Khabib versus Connor, 
go back and watch Glover versus Jiri yeah, to remind that. myself, that, remind myself, you know, why it is I keep coming back. But anyway, that's a story for another time. Uh, I will catch you next week when we'll break down that Brazilian pay-per-view. Looking forward to it, man. Have a good one. Bye.